The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC on behalf of Jeffrey Forche and Master Control, Loren McNabb and Vacationing Brett McGarry. Welcome to The Start On Demand and today our conversation dominated by the resignation of Premier Brian Pallister. What does this mean for the future of the Conservative Party in Manitoba? Who's in line to replace Premier Pallister? What should we expect in terms of timing? Lots of questions, lots of answers for you on the podcast this morning. We will also discuss the situation with personal care homes. One of the largest personal care homes in the city is closing by next August. What does that mean for capacity in the system? That and much else, our monthly visit with Red River College. Please stick around. It is the start on demand. Let's get right down to business. Well, there's really only one place to start this morning. A few moments ago, I informed my caucus colleagues uh, that I will not be seeking re-election as a member of the Manitoba Legislative Assembly, and accordingly, a new leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Manitoba will lead our party into the next election. It's Mackling and McNabb. McGarry returns on Monday. And Loren, how surprised were you by this about 3.45 yesterday afternoon? Well, you texted me prior to the... 3.30 announcement. Uh, he had just said he was going to have a media availability and he said, is there any chance he's going to step down today? And I wrote back, not a chance. Not because he wasn't going to at some point. We all knew, knew he wasn't going to go into the next election. I don't think anyone had any expectations of that. And I, I thought for sure this was coming sometime within the next few months, but I did not see it coming yesterday. But obviously he got together with members of his caucus, heard from his uh, ministers and MLAs and uh, came out yesterday and said, all right, I'm 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 done. I'm stepping aside. And so I was surprised. I was surprised that it happened yesterday. I was surprised it happened that quickly. Normally you get some sort of inkling or leaks or someone starts saying, hey, he's really talking seriously about walking away and, and that makes its way to the media. But nope, nothing like that. So yeah, I was surprised. And so here we are. We got lots, lots of questions to answer today about what's next for the party. The who could be the next premier? How fast does this happen, Greg? And of course, who wins next time around? Where does this take us? What could happen with all sorts of bills on the table, like the education bill that's so controversial? There are all the hospital changes. Man, there's a million questions floating through my head this morning. And you mentioned opening up your windows. I wonder how we slept last night. I opened up my windows last night and had a great one of those great cool sleeps and. Maybe he took a weight off his shoulders. Maybe he was ready to go a long time ago and walked into that room yesterday and walked out thinking, today's the day. Look, there are a lot of people who believe the the very reason we had an early election two years ago in September was so that Brian Pallister could sort of get things in order, anoint a a new leader, get that organized and ride off into the sunset. Then COVID-19 comes along and gets in the way of of what many perceive to be his plan. I guess we'll never know unless he, you know, Brian Pallister writes a tell-all book at some point to share with everyone where his head was at and when. But here we are, and I think you ask a lot of the very important questions that need to be answered over the last several days. We'll do our best to get some of the answers, at least some ideas and thoughts on the answers to those questions as we make our way through the morning at 8.05. Our own Richard Cluche will join us to to give us some insight. He's been able to speak 
to some of the folks that were at that meeting yesterday, an insider's look at how this all went down. And I guess the biggest question I have for Richard is, was this Brian Pallister's decision? Was it his and his alone to step down yesterday? Right. Or who was saying, look, sir, <laughs> it's time for you to go. There's been things said. There's been um, controversial moments that haven't been accounted for. You've ticked off A, B, and C, several groups of people. You got to go or we don't have a future. And that's always part of the conversation, too. And so it's, it's like that it's like that moment in life. And we've perhaps many people have been there before. You think, if I don't go now, how much worse does it get for me or for my business or for my job or for my health? You know, those those are all things that people factor in. And so in some respects, there is part of me and we discussed this briefly in text yesterday, Greg, but there's part of us that says, well, if it was his decision and good on him, because you're thinking of the future of someone beside yourself. I can't help but draw the parallels between what Brian Pallister did yesterday and what Greg Selinger did not do six, seven years ago. Uh, I think Brian Pallister put his party before himself yesterday. That's my personal feeling. I don't know any of the details, but uh, that's one parallel and one contrast that I was making yesterday was here's a you say what you want about Brian Pallister yesterday I firmly believe he put his party ahead of himself to a great extent so we can have all those conversations your feedback always welcome to 04-780-6868 in the last oh 15 minutes or so Loren an interesting email from the government of Manitoba we have 400 firefighters fighting wildfires in our province some help coming from afar. Yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because with this rain, we're talking about where we're going and we just heard in the news run, Merrick Takash had the story about many producers saying this rain doesn't help for this year, but it helps at the table maybe for next year. And then, of course, there are wildfires still being battled. And on that front, the Manitoba Wildfire Service announced today that 100 South African firefighters, along with their support staff, are coming to help battle Manitoba's wildfires and so they're going to arrive in Winnipeg by charter fight and they'll be tested of course for COVID-19 protocols um, and so these 100 firefighters when we, when we only have 400 of our own and we're bringing in 100 more that's a huge portion of the contingent that will be fighting and yes. so we we're going to be busy I guess on this front still we currently have 143 wildfires burning across the province uh, and so usually we have 370, so we're well above average with 431. And uh, here we are. We're getting South African contingent coming in to help. Some other news that uh, jumped out for us yesterday. Rivera is closing Parkview Place, and I can see Parkview Place from my mic position here in our studio on the 30th floor at 201 Portage Avenue. And uh, this really seems like exactly what needed to happen, but... What are the ramifications of this, Loren? And how do we replace these facilities in a system already stressed to the limit? Yeah, it feels like so many stories have happened and so many things have been said in the last year and a half with COVID that you almost, you know, you worried. And I'm sure there are people within the system that worry we're going to forget about how bad things got. And if we forget, then things can't improve, right? And so the the steps that Rivera says it's taking to close what was really one of the worst um, and hardest hit homes in Winnipeg saying it's aging and it's old. Well, well, then what's next? Where do the people go? And how many more homes do we have that are in this 
situation, mm. right? I, like, what, what else, what other dollars need to be spent that we need to watch for? Because if we're lucky, that's where we all end up. It, you know, wh- what's your future as someone aging? Where do you go? It's usually into a home. A few moments ago, I informed my caucus colleagues uh, that I will not be seeking re-election as a member of the Manitoba Legislative Assembly, and accordingly, a new leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Manitoba will lead our party into the next election. And just like that, the beginning of the end of the Brian Pallister era of Manitoba politics was underway. After almost 10 years as leader of our party and more than five years as our province's premier, I believe that now is the time uh, for a new leader and a premier to take our province forward. The honour of my life has been serving as our premier. Manitobans have gifted me with the great privilege of leading our province with the two largest back-to-back majority government wins in over a century. Two years ago, the Pallister-led PC party of Manitoba was elected to a second majority mandate, an election which came, as most of us know, a full year earlier than fixed election date legislation dictated. Loren, ever since that election was called, some have wondered, wondered out loud if it was part of an exit strategy for the Premier. Brian Pallister has continually said when asked that he wasn't in a hurry to go anywhere. How did we get to yesterday? Well, it's so fascinating when you think back and you look back because so much has been said over the past few months for sure, but really over the past few years about his popularity and how low his popularity numbers are among Manitobans. But, you know, yeah, he this party won a, a record-breaking majority back in 2016. It was historic when they first came back and put an end to almost 17 years of uh, NDP reign in this province. And so there was there was extreme popularity for this po- province, but just never a, a ton for this premier. And so he's been asked repeatedly about his plans. You know, are you going to do one election too? And then he did that second election. And he said, after that second election, he was asked several times, do you plan to stay, see the second term through? And initially, you know, it's worth reminding people, Steve Lambert, our friend at Canadian Press, you know, we had him on the air a few weeks ago. And initially he had said that he was going to see the second term through. And then you know, had some saying that, you know, there might be an early election. And then after Christmas, they did that year in an interview, and he said, I'm committed to seeing this pandemic through. So that was a change in tone. So you knew that something was coming sooner rather than later. Lots of people suspected at some point this year we'd hear the premier was stepping down. But there's been all sorts of things that have happened. The, the pandemic is one of them. You've had that change prior to that to all the ERs. You have the introduction of Bill 64, the education bill. It is so controversial with the sweeping changes being proposed to our education system. Of course, you had the toppling of the statues and the premier's words after that about residential schools and, and the, the the way he tried to phrase things that just ticked so many people off. There hasn't been one thing that I think has led to this decision, or maybe it's a push to say, go, you know, was it, was it him yesterday saying it's time for me to go? Or someone said to him, it's time for you to go. Well, Kelly Saunders, BU uh, professor says Palster was out of touch with his base on several large scale decisions. We've seen this premier kind of out of touch on a number of issues, right? I mean, he takes pot shots at different groups of people that are that that are normally part of his base or that that are supporters of his like doctors for example that just didn't seem to make sense and 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 even some of his actions out here over you know in the rural areas of Brandon which is the conservative base right closing 
down emergency rooms, for example, shutting down prisons, um, you know, and, and amalgamation issues in municipalities, and, and really sort of taking actions that are only alienating his very own supporters. So you do have to wonder sometimes at some of the decisions that he's made. So, Loren, one of the questions which rose quite quickly yesterday, at least with the people I follow on social media, some of the people I was was speaking with as well, does this open the door for Bill 64 to ride off silently into the night? Yeah, I think it opens the door for that to potentially not see its way through because, of course, you'll have to have a new leader and then they'll have to guide this issue among many issues. They'll have to decide what they want to do with it. The bill is going into another reading later this fall when the legislative session resumes, but will they push it through? So there's questions about the future of many laws and policies. But first, we need to figure out who the next leader is. It sounds like that's going to happen soon in the sense of they're probably, sometimes there's an interim leader that's named, right? But it sounds like they're just going to try to figure out how to get a leadership contest going as quickly as possible. And there will be, I think, several people step forward who might decide. Names? I would think Rochelle Squires would be up there. Scott Fielding might be one. I don't know if Cam Friesen, um, if he, he if he will go, because he was definitely not liked in this pandemic. Calvin Gertson might be one of them. Heather, Heather Stephenson, did I already say that? She's been mentioned several times. There's lots of people that might want to do it. But do you want to take over this party at this time when it's so heavily maligned by many people who just don't like what's been done the pandemic is not over so you're taking over a party i think potentially as we enter a fourth wave i that's a that's a heavy heavy load to to pick up and run off with but yeah we will get that leader in place and then i think you ask the questions about like the education bill and others that may die before they even get a breath of air. Yeah, well, some may see it as a daunting task. Others may see it as their golden opportunity to have a major impact. And of course, any new leader of a provincial party, especially one in power, would have a massive impact on the history of politics in our province. It's going to be fascinating. More conversation on this throughout the morning. We're going to talk about driving in bad weather. This is tying back to the story that we've been discussing the last couple of days about that vehicle. That couple from Ontario on their way to Calgary struck by lightning. Their vehicle's a total loss. Global News spoke to them yesterday. They're on their way to Alberta now in a rented vehicle. And Loren, I think a lot of us were surprised that this is even a thing. Oh, well, like we always say, it's supposed to be your safest space, and it still is in the sense of how it, you know, you got the rubber tires, and it's not supposed to attract anything, and you're supposed to be, you know, thinking that if I'm on the highway in a thunderstorm, keep going, because you're better there than trying to get out of your car and run somewhere, definitely not the tree or the open field and all the rest, but 15 times on average a year that happens in Manitoba that someone's vehicle is hit by lightning while they're driving, so that had us thinking, man, what are some of your scariest moments Well driving in the summer i often think that i'm more comfortable in a winter storm than i might be in a rainstorm oh. while driving interesting well let's uh, take a poll and uh, go around the horn here jeff braun let's start with you um a couple of years ago i was driving from here to southern ontario and i was going through the states and i was on uh, interstate 10 in michigan driving south towards flint and this rainstorm just you know started walloping us and you know i'm not I don't like driving fast, period. Interstate is uh, not for me if I don't have to do it, but I had to do it there. And I, but the rain was so bad 
that you had to slow down at least a bit. And I was, so I think I was going down to maybe 90 kilometers per hour and just praying that somebody wouldn't just hit me from behind kind of thing. And all the motorcycles were huddled under the underpasses. So they were taking up those spots. I couldn't pull off the road anywhere. It was just uh, the most white knuckle drive of my entire life. And we finally sort of got through it. And then at the next rest stop, I pulled in there and everybody was pulling in there, not even to you know use the facilities just to take a breather. We're all like, holy cow, how did we ever live through that? It was, it was really wild. It was just, you just couldn't see 10 feet in front of you, but we're all just barreling down this uh, interstate hoping to god we wouldn't you know have some huge pileup uh, it's interesting because uh, my, my situation and my worst <laughs> interaction with the weather was in iowa i was just trying to think about how to phrase this yeah the united states is famous for its thunderstorms a uh, tornado alley of course uh straight up the the gut of the united states and ex- almost an exact situation jeff braun we were driving caravan style to california and we had to stop at a, a truck stop because it was absolutely impossible to see anything people stopped under the underpasses which seemed like a good idea but also dangerous all at the very same time and so yeah yeah, uh, boy oh boy harrowing experience back in 1991 and the hair still stands up on the back of my neck thinking about how about you poitras uh well yeah similar thing i mean i have to go with loren too when she said um that uh i I actually feel more comfortable like driving in in a snowstorm than i do in, in in a rainstorm when it's that downpour you guys are talking about where you can't even see um you know 10 feet in front of you uh, you know, I specifically the the one that really sticks out in my mind is we were going out camping to Deception Lake just over the border into Ontario. And uh, yeah, it was just the rain just all of a sudden we could see it coming. And all of a sudden you just see that wall as you just approach this wall. And it's like, oh, over here, it's sunny over there. It's like death. And you're just <laughs> driving ahead uh, and, you, and you go into it. And that was uh, one of the few times in my life I was just like, all right, I'm pulling over to the side of the road. I'm not messing around with this. Jeff Forche, what about you? You know what? Anytime I hit bad weather like that, where I can't see in front of me because of the rain, I, I will pull over. I, I don't. I don't trust myself enough. You know, I'd rather be smart and pull over and wait for the weather to clear up a bit. Uh, but the worst is when it's around zero and the the rain hits the the ground and it turns to sleek like it's uh, like you can see the shine off off the road, the sun off the road, and. Uh, Ooh, yeah. If, if my heart beats, I'm pulling over. Is there anything worse than the idea and the and the feeling that you might be fishtailing mm-hmm. in rain? Like, like that's hydroplaning. Or hydroplaning. Or yeah. hydroplaning. Yeah. yeah, like, uh, Loren, I think we're all with you. Most of us, I think, would prefer to drive in a snowstorm versus a rainstorm. Well, you can, it's not that you can practice for what to do when you hit black ice or any sort of ice but you it feels like you have a sense of what the steps should be you know when you start to lose that control whereas when it's when it's in the rain i i don't really know i don't i feel like i don't have the right instinct for that moment and for me it's still i think i have told this story before but it, it stays in my mind every time it rains now it comes back in because my sister and i had done a trip in south africa when i was living in zimbabwe we drove from Harare down to Cape Town and then back. So it was this huge, massive drive. We had this Povera Peugeot that we called it. It was just a terrible car. It gave us all sorts of problems. And the wipers stopped working when it just a huge rainstorm hit, 
it's dark. We're nearing around Port Elizabeth, I think. The wipers just stopped working. Like they wouldn't even go back and forth. And so we were like ace venturing it, you know, with your head out the car window to try to see and wiping down the windshield and we were too nervous to stop because we didn't know where we were and some parts were definitely not safe and so we kept going we made this terrible decision to keep going and we finally get to this gas station we see in the distance and we ran in and he there was nobody there to help us fix the wipers but he offered to sell me that stuff that you put on the windshield that helps the rain bead you know like where you spray it and it helps the rain dis- I don't know, the water disperse more quickly. And so we were using that and the cloth and we just kept going and we got to our place we were staying at and Port Elizabeth and honestly we're in tears like just like it felt like you had just survived the this horrible horrible situation and so now every time it rains I think I think about how we're basically blind like you couldn't see we start this hour with Brian Pallister and did he decide it was time for him to go or did members of his party say Mr. Premier it's time for you to go so many questions this morning. That's one of them, Greg. Of course, we're waiting to hear how the leadership race could work for the Conservatives, who might run, when it might happen, and all sorts of things about just the future of this party and different bills in this province. We're joined now by Bonnie Staples-Lyon, who is Director of Public Affairs at Stakeholder Relations at Argyle. Good morning, Bonnie. Good morning. So you in the past have also worked as a policy advisor and member of the communications team during the Filman era. You were also chief of staff for former mayor Sam Cates. So you've been in some of those high level, serious conversations before in the back rooms. And so I'm curious, any sense of whether this was a question the premier was asking himself, should I stay or should I go? Or was someone saying, hey, here's a bit of a push. You got to go now. I think when this, this kind of thing happens, it's a bit of both. Um, I congratulate the Premier, you know, for making this announcement. Being Premier is really tough and very lonely, and um, there's been incredible uh, challenging times, let's say, in Manitoba right now. So, um, you know, he has now left enough time for someone new to come up and um, put their own brand and their own policies on the party. I would agree with you on that, Bonnie. I, I think that uh, what Premier Pallister did yesterday was put a party before himself, unlike the previous Premier of our province who did the exact opposite. And we could debate that till the cows come home. But I want to know from you, is this going to be, are we going to see a reinvention of this PC party of Manitoba over the next 40, 24 months as we head towards an election in, in 2023? Is it a crisis for this party? It's not a crisis, uh, but it is going to be challenging. And, uh, you know, that's what people do. They face a challenge and make it work. I think one of the keys to it is going to be um, get the convention and the leadership up and running as soon as possible. Um, It's not rocket science putting this together. And people have known this has been coming if they've been reading the news or if they've been listening to other people. So if anybody says they need a lot of time, um, I don't think that they, uh, they're they prepared then to lead the province. So they need to have something. We need somebody in place by the end of the year. They do in order to start to rebrand themselves and put their own policies forth and calm the waters a bit. 
end of the year timing seems even late to me, Bonnie. I was thinking it might be more in a matter of a couple of months. But who puts out their hand in this scenario? What's your advice to someone considering taking over? You know, it's not like you're coming in when the party's riding a wave of popularity. You're coming in with all sorts of issues, all sorts of anger. There might even be more infighting that we're not even aware of between members in terms of what's been done over the past few months with policy that's been set. So so is this, a, you know, will there, will there be people who say, I'd like to do this, but I don't want to do this right now? Well, if that's the case, then they shouldn't be running. I mean, you don't get to choose. I mean, you do get to choose your timing, but when it comes along, you either got to jump on it and go for it, or you sit back and you are in chair quarterback. There is still lots of time. I think the Premier has given them that. And yes, there has been some unhappiness with some of the policies putting forth, but you can change those. And it's amazing what a new face can do uh, at the head of a party and new policies, how it can turn things around. The other thing which is different this time, or it's a bit unique, is who's ever running, they don't become the leader of the party. They become the premier of Manitoba. So that, that's, a big, that's a big challenge, and that's a big prize for people looking at it. So I think um, my phone's been ringing off the hook. So there's quite a few interested, which is good to see, from cabinet, MLAs, and even some outsiders. So it's uh, like outside of the party. So that's, uh, that's good. That'll be good for the party. Sorry, Bonnie, you said your phone's been ringing off the hook. Who, who's calling? What kind of questions? Can you give us any, any insight there? Just from different friends, from different uh, people involved in the party. What's going to happen? Well, it was lots was happening yesterday before he announced because there was lots of speculation what it would be. And then kind of the same thing you guys are asking me. So before we let you go here, Bill 64 is the the controversial piece of legislation that comes to mind for me. And there's been a lot of pushback, not just in Winnipeg ridings, traditional NDP strongholds, but also in traditional uh, ridings and strongholds of the PC party. Do you think this is an opportunity for this uh, piece of legislation in particular to, to see the pause button pressed upon it? Absolutely. I think it's a, there's a huge... Um, pent-up frustration out there that they don't understand what the bill is, and if they do, they don't like it. So I think this is a great opportunity for um, the government to go out and uh, solicit feedback and input. So Rivera uh, said it plans to close Parkview Place Long-Term Care Home, and it's provided the required one-year notice to the WRHA, that's our health authority in Winnipeg. Lisa Dutton is the Global News at 6 Anchor and explains what's going down here. A Winnipeg care home, that was the site of one of the province's worst COVID-19 outbreaks, will soon be closing its doors for good. Rivera announced the closure of its first ever care home, Parkview Place, today. The organization says the 60-year-old building has an outdated design and layout that's no longer suitable to caring for the elderly patients. The building will close by August 10, 2022, once all residents have been transitioned. Rivera says it will support Parkview Place's residents and families through the process and will lurk closely, pardon me, will work closely with the WRHA as it plans resident moves to other care homes, Loren. Jan Ligueros is Executive Director of the Long-Term and Continuing Care Association of Manitoba and has joined us several times on this show and many shows to talk about the state of long-term care in this province. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Loren. Good morning, Greg. 
So what sort of hole does this leave? If Parkview Place closes as planned within the next year, how many beds, how many people need to be moved? And, and then what's next is some of the questions we're asking. Well, for sure. And I have some of those questions too, Loren. Um, I heard the news yesterday, as did you. Although I did know that um, Parkview, you know, is um, a very, very old residence. So it was built in 1961, as Rivera said, and at that time, um, you know, our our clients or residents of long-term care were very, very different. Um, these were people that many of them were still driving. Um, many of them walked to the nearest legion for a libation in the afternoon. So things have changed dramatically, and the infrastructure at Parkview has, unfortunately, uh, for many different reasons, could not be changed. It's a high-rise, and, uh, you know, the the spacious uh, suites that were originally there in 1961 were changed at the request of government to to two-bed and four-bed rooms um, at that time because of the uh, stress that was on the hospitals to admit seniors to uh, places where they could be cared for. So Parkview has 270 beds today, and we know, though, that uh, there would be a few vacancies because of COVID and the leftover residual from that. Um, But certainly, you know, 270 beds is a significant number when you look at Winnipeg alone has 5,700 beds. So there will be some changes, but maybe it's an opportunity for us to look at more community care and more ways of letting people age in place. I think you've uh, convinced me and and probably others uh, that this is something that needed to happen. Time was up on this facility. So here we are. Could we see more closures of older facilities like this one? This being, of course, the oldest. But is this something we could see more of, Jan? You know, I'm not sure the answer to that, Greg, but certainly COVID taught us some very hard lessons. You know, we know that uh, long-term care was hit the hardest um, with COVID. We know that uh, Canada overall funds its long-term care at 30% less than other OECD countries. We know in Winnipeg alone, there have been no funding increases for more than 10 years and little to no capital funding was ever provided. So we see um, our first casualty of that in Parkview, and perhaps, yes, um, maybe there'll be other casualties, but maybe it's a wake-up call as well, Greg and Lauren. You know, maybe this is the time um, that COVID has taught us that things need to change. Yeah, I was saying this morning that, you know, we talked so greatly about this uh, over the past year when we we saw some of the deaths in the homes that were hit really hard and the questions that were raised, Jan, about who was watching and the care in place and the ratio of staff to patients and and whether Manitobans are really paying attention to how we care for some of our most vulnerable people, people who are our loved ones, right? And we're all going to end up in this position we hope to live long enough and healthy enough to to find yourself looking for that retirement or personal care home. And I'm curious if you think that the outrage is still there, that outrage that we saw back in October when that second wave came through and people were so upset about how we were treating our elderly. Do you still feel that that's there and that this will be enough to push for that change that might be needed? 
Certainly, uh, Loren, there are a lot of people pushing for this, more than I've ever seen in my 15 years at long-term care. Uh, just a poll that I read in the paper the other day mentioned that 55, 55% of Manitobans are willing to pay more in taxes to change long-term care. So all of this is very encouraging. Uh, there are several groups, uh, very strong groups, that are working on uh, proposing changes to long-term care, uh, increases in staffing, increases in quality of life staff specifically. So our allied health staff, our occupational therapists, physiotherapists, recreation therapists, social workers, dietitians. Those are the people that we need to change the lifestyle of residents in care. We also need to learn from COVID, certainly, and infection prevention and control measures need to be uh, far more stringent and in place 24-7. It's the start on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you. The decision isn't shocking. The timing definitely a surprise to many. Now it's time to move on and spend some time with the people that I have missed over many years, including my family and friends. I want to say thank you to my family for their love and support every day for all these years. I want to say thanks to every Manitoban. I wish all of you the very, very best as you aspire to be all you can be. That was Manitoba Premier Brian Palster, or I guess outgoing Premier, or current but outgoing, or I'm not sure what the actual technical term is now as we categorize this next change, but we do have someone who can help sort this out, Richard Cluche, co-host of the news with Julian Buckingham right here on 680 CJOB, joins us this morning. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing very well, thank you so very much, and uh, I outlast another Premier. Yes. Um, Pallister started in 1992, uh, and that's when I started. So this is, uh, yeah. Well, we wanted to know. I mean, you've been doing this a long, long time. You've got different people you've been speaking to over the past 24 hours. And was this Brian Pallister's decision yesterday or more people lining up to say you need to go sooner than later? This ultimately was Brian Pallister's decision. Um, As soon as that media notice went out that he would be making remarks Uh, I started getting texts from uh, people from all three political parties with New Democrats saying they're dumping them, with Liberals saying, I think they're going to dump them, with Conservatives saying, "Um, what do you know about this? And the conversations that I've had with, uh, with senior members of the party and cabinet ministers paint the picture that at some point there was going to be a confrontation with the premier, even though none of these cabinet ministers really like to confront um, the premier. We have some uh, strong characters there, but we don't have characters that would stand up in the middle of a cabinet meeting. It has happened before with, uh, with results that have not favored those cabinet ministers. So this was a regular cabinet meeting in Brandon, and at the end, uh, the premier, um, made known his intentions, that he wouldn't be running again, uh, and that uh, this would trigger a leadership contest in the months ahead. Uh, I do know that he has had talks with senior staff and some cabinet ministers about his timeline, and I think the realization that after the speech that he made, 
that he had to come out and, and half apologize for, for people not understanding him, that he realized that um, the, the date has now come where he has to start. And uh, while politicians will always tell you that they ignore the polls between elections, he realizes that uh, the only way that this party can rebuild is that he, f he steps aside and give the party establishment some good, uh, good time to, uh, to dump some legislation that is uh, currently on the order paper and to really reframe itself if they want to be able to uh, maintain government. I asked Bonnie Staples-Lyon if this is an opportunity and if she saw the PC party of Manitoba reinventing itself somewhat over the next two years. What do you think, Rich? Staples-Lyon was involved and is still involved uh, in politics. She was uh, a senior person in the filming cabinet, part of what we call the, the Tuxedo Tories. And I think somebody that uh, would obviously support Heather Stephenson in a bid, that would really change the party in the sense that uh, it would be more urban. It would certainly be a lot more progressive than conservative. And that's probably the, the, the rebrand, the rethink that they would need. But in a leadership contest, you would still have a very strong rural caucus who has been really upset with the Premier about Bill 64 on um, eliminating school divisions, you'd have that rural caucus um, still dominate over the urbanites. So you would see some leadership contestants from Winnipeg, from, some from rural Manitoba, but still uh, highlighting the dichotomy in the party. So what's next? When will we learn, Richard, how this will go? Um, we, the timeline, I think, is important for people to kind of get through this and understand who is running the province. Yeah, the Premier would like to stick around for at least a, a, the next couple of months. Here's why. He would like to do a, a September tour of Manitoba, a goodbye tour, if you will. Um, it was originally thought to be a post-COVID tour. That's not going to be the case. And he is chairing um, the Premiers. Uh, the Premiers have um, their annual meetings. That annual meeting is in early October here in Winnipeg. I think everybody... Uh, within the party is going to give him that opportunity to chair that. We're expecting that will be after a federal election. And then that will be his swung song, his goodbye song in, in that sense. This still has to be determined. There'll be meetings starting, I'm told, next week on this. Everybody that I've talked to, both at the party structure and within government, has said that they don't want a long, predict, uh, a very long leadership process. In other words, They'd like to see a new leader in place by the end of this year. Uh, it's possible, uh, depending on COVID as well, but like anything else, you can do um, a lot of stuff remotely. So I reckon that the Premier will be able to stick around for a couple of months, uh, do that meeting in early October, and then there'll be a leadership contest, possibly with a new premier in place by the end of November, early December. Okay, you mentioned Heather Stephenson. We've just got 30 seconds here. Rochelle Squire's name uh, comes up continually. Are there any names outside of the caucus that you expect to throw their hat into the ring? Uh, Candace Bergen, his name has been brought up, the, the, uh, the former federal um, MP. Uh, Brian Bowman, possibly. Had Brian Bowman done... I think a, a, a better job as mayor of Winnipeg. He's a former uh, head of the party, certainly would represent a youthful side, a progressive side, but he's made a lot of enemies within the progressive conservatives. 
those are some names. Um, the Ron Schulers of the world, I think, will be kicking the tires as well. Uh, other than the leadership that brought Pallister in, I think that this will be a widespread and robust group of candidates uh, that vie for the leadership. If you're just tuning in to the start, Mackling and McNabb with you. McGarry returns on Monday. Kelly Moore just telling us that Neil Pionk has, in fact, signed a four-year contract extension with the Winnipeg Jets. The restricted free agent expected to make just under $6 million per season. And the Jets uh, just might have enough money left on their payroll and the salary cap to sign forward Andrew Kopp. A big question for many. Hal Anderson been waiting very patiently this morning Thank you, my friend. No worries. Happy to be uh, bumped by great news uh, from the Winnipeg Jets with Fionk, so uh, that's uh, no problem at all. Uh, hello, Eminem. Happy Wednesday. Hip-hop day today. Greg, I know you'll be cranking hip-hop when you yeah. get home and, and get off the air. Uh, you know? Hip-hop day today. Yes. Foo Fighters hey, doing yeah. a hip-hop I- uh, album now after the disco one? And that oh, are happen. they? I hadn't no. heard that. <laughs> well, I'm just suggesting it. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, good. I was like, boy, am I missing out on, on Foo news. <laughs> no, no, no. You'll be the second um, to know. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, masks, vaccines, COVID, I mean, it's just been so polarizing, right? Well, there's a new survey in it. I find this interesting. And we're seeing more workplaces in the U.S. mandating uh, the COVID vaccine. We're seeing a bit of it here in Canada. I, th- I think we're going to start seeing, we're certainly seeing the debate here in Canada. New survey, listen to this. This is how split down the middle it is. New survey says that uh, workplaces that make vaccination necessary... Um, people 30, you, it's at 39, it was at 39% in March. People that were saying, if you mandate me getting a vaccine, I'm going to quit. It was at 39% in March. It's now at 44%. So it's up. Hmm. And then the same survey shows that 38% of workers would consider leaving their current employer if the organization did not enact a vaccine mandate. So 44% say I quit. Uh, if you do, and and um, the others, uh, 38% say I quit if you don't. So, I mean, you can't win. Rocking a hard place is the very definition of those re- that result there, Hal. I mean, my gosh, what is a business supposed to do with that? I know, exactly. And, and I'm not so sure we're going to see as much of it here as we're seeing in the States, but it's certainly uh, being debated. By the way, uh, Gen Z workers most likely to leave if vaccines are not mandated hmm. boomers the least likely to quit over the lack yeah. of a vaccine uh, mandate so that's uh, that's not really surprising there but listen this is um, this stuff's going to be talked about you know covid numbers are, are down vaccinations are up but i think this uh, debate is going to carry on for a long long time how well, the university of ottawa just yesterday said it's making vaccination mandatory for any in-class yeah. learning at that campus mm-hmm. and so you know, those questions will be asked of campuses right across the country. We talked about that at the U of M last week, you know, where where, where are they going with those decisions. And so it'll start maybe with that younger generation, if you mention it, how the Gen, X, Gen Zers, Gen Zs, Gen Zs, what is yeah. it? Gen well, Zers in Canada, Zed I guess. Here, yeah. Gen yeah. Zers actually sounds better. Zers doesn't really work. It's a, <laughs> right. it's a, a really an abomination. Okay, all this nice fluffy talk back and forth and Hal's surveys and this, that, and the other thing. Here's the question everyone wants to know the answer to, Hal. Are you going to be throwing your hat in the ring to replace Brian Pallister as a progressive conservative leader in Manitoba? <laughs> well, well, listen, um, 
I you've been really, really coy. On, you've been really, really coy about this in the past. So <laughs> I can't really comment on that right now, Greg. Can I just say this though? Listen, I understand that Brian Palster's not a very popular guy with a lot of people right now. But here's what I will say. Um, and and I didn't like everything he did, uh, but I did like really like some of the stuff he did. And I I will just say this about uh, Premier Pallister. Um, it takes it is a big sacrifice to commit that many years to public service, and so if nothing else, I thank him for his public service and wish him well. Um, as for the other thing, listen, I, no, obviously not. I could I could never ever leave radio. I don't think. Uh, it would have to, and, and certainly not for that uh, job. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see who is is going to throw their hat in the ring. I, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see. I, I don't know as though there's any real obvious name or person that stands out, Greg. Would you agree? I would completely agree with that. And, and the names that probably would have been bandied about even nine months ago, definitely mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, but, you know, in the last nine months or so, that list has probably been whittled away uh, due to circumstances around COVID-19 yeah. and, and how it's been perceived that, that many in the government have handled this. So I would say that the list will be fascinating to see mm-hmm. who wants to be viewed as being able to bounce back from this and the outsiders, if anybody. Uh, yeah. Richard Cloutier mentioned Brian Bowman, and it's a name that, that I've mentioned to a couple people as well, and eyes got wide open when i did that so mm-hmm. yeah what have you got planned on that in, in terms of your show today by the way well we're working on a bunch of stuff obviously reaction to that i, I think it, just a quick one other point on that i think it could be a, a, a real surprise because i think a lot of the people in the premier's inner circle right now to some degree are going to be unpopular because the premier is unpopular right so it could be somebody out of left field, or maybe I should say out of right field <laughs> when dealing with the Tories, but it could be somebody really surprising <laughs> mm. and shocking, a name that we would never have thought of at this point. So Maybe we'll Centerfield, Hal. Or maybe Centerfield, which is maybe, you know, where more Manitobans are, to be honest with you. Hey, uh, i got to tell you one more story whatever, here. I, I would just say whatever, whoever it is, needs to also continue with the sport analogies. I mean, we don't want to stop <laughs> right. now. Why yes. stop now? Well, you listen, we'll miss those. A year from now, Loren, we'll be talking and we'll be going, man, I wish we had a pal. We could use a good analogy. coaching metaphor Wouldn't right now. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, I, I think that's oh. on the application form. Do you possess yeah, strong sports metaphor skills, yes yeah. or no? Rank mm-hmm. the year, those skills on a scale of 1 to 10. Anyway, continue, yes. Al. Uh, okay, so I just I thought this was so interesting. They have uh, done some research on a fossil that they found. Dinosaurs are cool, right? We, we agree dinosaurs are cool. Yes. Um, they have discovered a fossil in Australia of a fearsome dragon with a 23-foot wingspan that soared over the Australian outback. Um, a, a doctor uh, who's doing research on this at Queensland in Australia, uh, Tim Richards, says it's the closest thing we have to a real-life dragon. It had it was a fearsome beast, as I said. It had a spear-like mouth and a wingspan of seven meters. Oh and apparently it could be a real savage. Yeah, I guess so. You should see the artist's rendition of this, Greg. I mean, it's uh, it's giant. Its mouth is also looks like it's seven yeah. meters long to scoop things up below. But hey, doesn't that make sense? I mean, otherwise, like I get that our imagination goes into overdrive. But there's been mm-hmm. talk of dragons for years. It makes sense to me that there actually yeah. was one. And of all sure. the countries, yeah, Australia is where I would pick for it to fly. Right. But well, just or got you some know weird what? Creatures uh, down there. Yeah, and I looked at the picture too. Kind of sounds like our mosquitoes right here in Manitoba, sort of. 
Mm-hmm. Big 23-foot wingspan, spear for a for a mouth. Anyhow. We've got people uh, guys, listening across the country, Hal. We've been trying to convince certain people to move back to Manitoba. You're not helping. Yeah. Okay. Right. Thanks a lot, yeah. pal. Guys, have a good day. Red River Community College. All, yeah, that's sorry, right. Sorry, sorry. Red River College. The community is gone. Well, like it or not, for college students, for K-12 students, back-to-school mode is kind of where many are at. I hate to say it. I almost cringe. There's about a month left before the K-12 go back to school, just shy of a month. But college students at Red River College, they go back uh, three weeks from now. And so we want to figure out what's going on down there and what they're preparing for as they work to meet the needs of industry right across this province. And so we're joined now by Jonathan Bauer, Corporate Solutions Business Development Manager at Red River College. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, good morning. Well, are you in that back-to-school mode already? Does it feel like it? The temperature kind of feels like it this morning when I woke up, but uh, how are things looking on campus? Uh, we're, we're really excited, and we continue to uh, plan and monitor um, for the fall. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about the customized training solutions we put together. So leveraging our uh, staff across over 200 programs across all sectors, and we have great technology access centers. So these are folks uh, in areas like business efficiency, aerospace and manufacturing, vehicle and energy technology. And... Uh, our, our team at Red River College, our customized training solutions team, we work with organizations um, and we support their team members uh, who may be looking at upskilling as business context changes. So, Jonathan, does that mean people come to you, these organizations come to you and say, hey, we have this hole or this need to fill. How can you help? Absolutely. So things are always evolving. So as, as folks graduate and enter the workforce, uh, there's still need to, to pivot, to reskill. And so we work with these businesses who reach out to us, and they usually reach out to us at rrc.ca slash corporate solutions. And we focus on convenience, so when and where these organizations need the training, relevance, making sure it's the latest information in their field, the latest technology, and then accessibility, so online, in-person, blended, making sure that the training actually works for their organization and context and helps them achieve their business goals, um, and that could be growing their business, staying competitive, pivoting. It could be attracting talent and sometimes developing uh, learning pathways and career plans for their staff. It's an incredible evolution in my mind of Red River College, and I'm, of course, old enough to remember going to Red River Community College to get some advice on on future endeavors in my education, and it felt like it was very much up to me back in the early 1990s, which direction I was going to go. But Jonathan, it feels as though the the teaching and the courses, there's a lot of input from industry and from leaders in our economy that say, hey, yeah, you might have been teaching this for a long time, but you might want to consider pivoting to that because we really need workers in certain industries. Fair to say? Very fair to say. And, and an example of that is we recently launched our full-stack web development certificate and diploma, and, and we've seen organizations rely more on e-commerce, on folks being able to navigate their products and services through a mobile phone, through a, a laptop. So absolutely, it pivots. Um, a recent initiative we did with Winnipeg Transit and our vehicle technology 
an energy center was to provide an introductory course for electric vehicle technology for transit technicians. So again, that's hearing from industry, hearing from our partners, um, and providing a solution that uh, really helps organizations and the college continue to stay uh, relevant. One, one initiative I'm really excited to talk about is our partnership with the Manitoba Environmental Industries Association. And we're launching an energy advisor micro-credential this fall. Um, the only of its training of its kind provided by a Canadian post-secondary institution. And the Government of Canada has the Greener Homes Initiative, so we, we need more energy advisors. The, the initiative is providing uh, free EnerGuide energy audits for 1 million homes. So this is just another example of working within industry, so firms that are providing energy advisor services, working with the great association in the Manitoba Environmental Industries one, and building a, a solution that provides both employment opportunities, but is also in demand and rewarding. And, and I know climate is top of mind for many Manitobans. And for those who might be considering them, you know, these micro-credentials, it's not a full degree or dip- diploma. It's a shorter course, right? But you come out with the knowledge and the certificate saying, yes, you can do A, B, or C. So what would this one be, for example, for the energy advisor? Uh, what kind of length of course are we talking about? So we're talking of a three-month part-time program and um, prepares folks to also be federally or nationally certified. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, micro-credentials, sometimes they're known as digital badges or micro-certifications, but they allow employers to see immediate qualifications for specific skills. So the, the scope really uh, kind of zones in on, on what competencies do we need um, for the role. Um, and so folks who want to know more, rrc.ca slash corporate solutions, and there's more information both about uh, customized training solutions, but also micro-credentials. And we've been able to work with organizations to build both customized in-house programs. So a well-known brand is Skip the Dishes. And we built a customized micro-credential called Training Professional. They wanted an, an in-house training team, uh, and they wanted it to be world-class as they supported over their over 2,000-plus staff in Winnipeg. Um, but then we've also been able to offer micro-credentials externally, uh, both like the Energy Advisor example. Recently, we've um, launched an Indigenous Community Consultation and Engagement micro-credential which is part of Red River College's larger commitment to truth and reconciliation. So really a, a, a range of options from technology to business uh, to community uh, micro-credentials for Manitobans to look at. Jonathan, some outstanding initiatives at RRC. Thank you for sharing just uh, part of the picture that's being painted uh, just down the road from us. And across the city, I can see the Notre Dame campus uh, right from where I'm sitting. Thanks for this, Jonathan. Thank you. Jonathan Bauer, Corporate Solutions Business Development Manager at Red River College. Uh, We got a late entry here in the contest for the block party at the BERT tickets for Friday, August the 2nd. Do you see Marsha's text message there, Loren? I do, yes. I was just reading that we because we were asking people for their worst summer driving stories, right? And so 
Uh, she's got quite a good one. Should I read it now? Or are I we think saving you should. I, okay, well, so Marsha. Well, before you read it, before you read it, is it is it strong enough? I've only seen it. I've only perused it in a no, general I think, sense. No, I think our winner is still good just because okay. I liked his story and the bit of humor to it. Okay. But uh, here's Marsha's. I was driving alone from BC to Winnipeg a few years ago, planning to stop in Yorkton. It was around supper hour, and I was gassing up in Saskatoon, where, for whatever reason, I always get turned around. I know I was near the south end and asked the attendant how to get back on the road to 16. She told me and asked where I was headed. When I told her, she had this weird look. I didn't know why, and I only assumed it was because of distance. I replied, it's not that much farther. Well, sure enough, I get turned around and start heading south to Regina. You do not want to be going south off the 16 to get to Yorkton, just as an aside for me. Marsha says, after half an hour or so, I realize what I've done. I curse myself, turn around. Now on the road to Yorkton an hour or so later, plus another hour, the clouds form. The sky is dark. The rain begins. No big deal, right? Nope. It got as dark as dark could be. Driving 50, maybe 60 clicks, smack in the middle of the highway to keep the divider in the middle of the car. I got to Yorkton, pulled over, and just breathed. I got into a hotel, phoned my husband, turned on the TV, and realized I had just driven through the tail end of a tornado. All I could say is I'm so glad I got turned around. Oh my goodness. Are you saying this is not strong enough to win? No, I think it, I think it might be now that I get to the end. <laughs> I feel like we just have to give it to Marsha. Marsha, this is incredible. This is a great story. The tail end of a tornado. We'll read a couple more and then uh, we'll, we'll deliberate. Now, the next one I'm going to read here is ineligible for the prize. Do you know why? Because it's actually my brother texting in, but it is a good story. Myself and three friends were all dressed up to go clubbing back in the day. Horrible, horrible summer storm as we rounded the perimeter. We hit a puddle so large that the water actually came up through the floor of my buddy's Datsun. That ended up soaking us all. We still had a great night out. Yeah, I remember Leo's Datsun B210. We called it the Bumblebee. It had rusted out floorboards. You were sort of taking your your life into your own hands every time that you went out in that vehicle. But there were many of us that uh, learned how to drive standard on that car. So, Kevin, thank you for that. But you, you, you can't win the ticket. Sorry, bud. Kevin, I said, Kevin's got a great story. And you said, that's my brother. And I thought, okay, all right, he can't win. Okay, this was a contender. I'm going to read Mike's. We read it this morning. Yep. I thought he was in contention, contention in, in the race. Now I'm not sure. Mike said, quite some many years ago, my wife and I were camping at St. Is it St. Ambrose or Ambrosie Beach in our truck camper? I think it's St. Ambrose. Okay, so around 11 p.m., a large storm blew up, and there were severe weather warnings for our immediate area. Because of the many large trees all around us that we feared would come crashing down, we decided to bolt for home in Winnipeg. The road out was pitch black, and the storm blowing from behind us with intense, heavy, horizontal rain caused the illusion of us and the truck moving backwards. My wife was so convinced that somehow I was now driving in reverse, she yelled out, "'Why are you driving backwards?' I was certain I wasn't, but her exclamation caused me to hit the brakes hard enough to send us both flying forwards into our seatbelts. It was the weirdest feeling, and to this day, we still joke about it. That's from Mike. Mike or Marsha? I got to go, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I'm with you. Sorry, Mike. You tell us some great stories, and I know you've won prizes in the past from us. I think this is Marsha's first real two-foot jump into the wading pool. <laughs> Of the start, and so, Marsha, you are our winner. Congratulations. You are going to see, amongst others, the Northern Pikes and Jim Cuddy. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.